For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Shane Jones, welcome to Expanding Reality, brother. It's cool to see you. I am grateful that you are here, and this is already a blast. We are having fun. Your shows, yes, plural shows, guys. Inquiries of our reality as well as bizarre encounters as well as our minds media will be located down below as well as all the other ways to find our man Shane here. How the fuck are you, man? It's good to see you. I'm doing great, man. It's uh, awesome to finally make it onto your show. You came on my show a long time ago, and it's cool that we finally collaborated back, and I got some interesting stuff to talk about, and you can always talk about all my new projects I'm working on too, man. Dude, we had a blast, man, on your show, and that's why I had to get you on to introduce you to the audience, and as well, thank you so much for all the rescheduling. You you were in my batch of uh, coming on like in September, and then I canceled everything for two months. I just fucking shut everybody down. I went through like this deep, dark depression. It was fun. So uh, I, I appreciate you coming back on, because now I'm ready to have this conversation with you, dude. Now you're going to get the me that you deserve. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, dude, we've all been there before. It, it takes time. You just got to sit back, calm down, and let it all happen, and let everything flow how it should, man. That's how I see it. it. God, that's beautiful. And so simply just like, mm -hmm, and moved on. And I love that because it, it was so heavy, but it can be summed up just like that. It can be so simple as to be viewed that way. It's fascinating. You just got to take a step back to really start to appreciate things. Like I, I go in my like manic work modes where I'll do stuff like crazy and then I won't do nothing for like a week. But when I take that time sitting back for a week is when I appreciate everything that I do. And then it just gives you a refresh start to get back into everything that you're trying to get done, man. Sometimes you just got to step back for a minute. Like it's needed. Otherwise you're just gung ho in it all the time. Like you forget why you're doing it in the first place. You know, fucking great point, dude. You get that burnout. I was at this extreme burnout plus a bunch of other dumb shit, like this astrological gangbang from like Saturn, Uranus and Pluto were squaring off with me with some eclipses. And it was just this weird ass vortex. Like if it was a portal time that was, it could be more odd. It, I don't, I don't know how, man, it was just dark as fuck and odd. And yeah, that was it. It felt like this just dark ass tunnel, but you get through it and you get to come back and invite you back on to actually have this dope ass conversation, dude. So uh, before we get started, though, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself just a little bit for the audience here. So my name is Shane Jones. Uh, originally, I started Inquiries of All Reality going on about two years ago. And the whole intention of that show in the first place was that I was a very, still am, always will be a very inquisitive person. So I was listening to a lot of different podcasts and I just realized that a lot of people didn't ask some of the questions that I would typically ask. So I kind of figured I wanted to get myself in the ring and, you know, start doing it myself. 
So then I started inquiries of all reality. And that was just one of those perfect names that it just kind of happened in the shower and it came to me and it just perfectly accompanied the show. So then I was running that for a while. And that was one side of my personality, you know, having these open-minded conversations. Uh, but I was, I still do a lot of research myself. So I would just, it didn't really fit the format of that. So then off of that, about eh, maybe like six months to eight months after I started my original show, uh, I started Bizarre Encounters. And that's kind of had some back and forth as far as like co-hosts and everything goes. But I finally settled on a really, really awesome dude that's my co-host on that. Orrin Felix, got to give him a shout out. He's probably one of the best co-hosts I could possibly ever ask for. Shout and over out. there, we do our deep dives on, uh, you know, cryptids, paranormal stuff. Um, of course, like UFOs, aliens, all that fun stuff. And then just actually recently, we haven't recorded the first episode yet, but we're getting everything kind of set up. Uh, we're going to start doing a Patreon exclusive show called Bizarre Inquiries. And the whole premise of that is it's going to be like a 15 minute video show of us just taking listener questions and just kind of they're like, what if type of scenario? So it's like, you know, what if Sasquatch fought Mothman? What if there is an alien abduction tomorrow or uh, alien apocalypse tomorrow or just random things like that? And uh, we're going to get that one rolling. So off of all of those different shows that I was doing, I figured I kind of needed a place to accompany all of it. So then I started Open Minds Media, which is just essentially like my podcast production company. And off of me doing all of this different stuff, I started getting involved in other people's work too. Uh, so about eh, maybe like two months ago or so, I became uh, the paranormal slash cryptid researcher slash investigator for Michigan and Indiana under Phantoms and Monsters with Lon Strickler. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, currently working on a section for a book, working with uh, Tim Schwartz, if anybody's familiar with ufology and that awesome dude. So it's it's been a ride, man. I've been riding the wave, seeing where it takes me and just having fun along the way, man. Like not worried about the numbers, not worried about any of that. Just doing it for me and having fun along the way, man. That's the, that's the place, dude, right there. Just take it as it comes. Cause it's not the podcast. People, people talk about this and you know, my mom will be like, how do you make money or how do you do this? And I'm like, I don't even know how to begin to explain to you uh, what this is because it's so not in the way that they think. Right. And so there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of faith. There's a lot of what the fuck is going on here? But there's so many different things that come about because of this. Like we have the publishing house now, the journals and the handbook, and I've uh, been on a few documentaries. So like I've uh, been in a few books, uh, got to write a chapter for uh, Justin Williams book that's not out yet, but it's coming out soon. So like, like you, it's all of these opportunities outside of the show itself, but without the show, you wouldn't have gotten the opportunity. So technically podcasting has led you to a bunch of stuff, but not let's say the RSS feed itself, right? Directly. Yeah, it opens up a doorway to a hundred different other things that you could possibly do. And it's one of those things that I've thought about. Everybody has their moments where they think about quitting, but it's like, dude, it's opened me up to such a great community of people. It's opened me up to just all of these different interactions and experiences. So it's like, I wouldn't give it up for the world now, even if it wasn't making any money whatsoever. If I was in debt paying to have the podcast, like it's all worth it in the end because it gives you this weird sense of fulfillment. It's really hard to explain unless you're actually like doing it because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll start up a podcast and it doesn't end up lasting that long. And it's just kind of here, there, but like you just kind of forget about it. But once you get going and you actually become like a podcaster, it's just it becomes part of you, man. It's it's like part of your personality. And it's like you couldn't give it up without it. It's almost like I don't want to say an addiction or anything like that, but it's it's like you're addicted to it. Like you don't you don't feel that same sense of fulfillment once you start doing a podcast, unless you continue doing it. And once you get rolling, man, it's like, you, you never want to stop. Like, it's just, it's too good of a feeling to keep rolling with it and doing it, man. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And really what it seems like for me is that I'm addicted to growth and learning. And this offers the shit out of that. And it offers that in a few different ways. Not only just the surface level conversations you have with people, which is really what it's about, right? It's And that's why the tagline for the show is the expansion of consciousness cleverly disguised as a podcast. Like we're just fucking around calling it a podcast. It's so much deeper than that at so many levels. <clears throat> and whenever you get to these kind of uh, deeper level conversations is where you like really start to discover some really, really dope shit. Questioning is like the way through this bitch. And um, I just think what you're doing is fucking awesome, man. I just love well, it. I greatly appreciate that, man. Same to you. And I mean, the even better part, man, is it's like everybody can read a book. Books you learn more than you could ever imagine from. But when you can have the author of that book on your show and you have an excuse to do it, because you can't just like most of the time you can't just have a two hour conversation with an author just because it's like you need that excuse, that medium in order to do it. So it's like if you want to keep expanding your consciousness and really learn about things, what not a better way to do it than to actually have the people writing and researching some of the stuff on your show. And then you have an excuse to have a two hour awesome conversation with them and steer it into different directions, throw your different theories and ideas in. Cause I'm sure you get it all the time, man. You have somebody on and they'll be talking about like a concept and then you'll start throwing ideas in and then you'll make them think a little bit differently. And it's like, it's cool to say that, you know, you have like a researcher or somebody come on your show and they end up learning something as much as you learn something. Like it's some of the, one of the most fulfilling things about doing the show in the first place is learning on both sides. You know, it's not just a typical interview style show. These open conversations are where you really, really learn about the person and about what they're actually into researching in the first place. 100%. And it's the people who go, oh, you've expanded my reality, you know, and they're having fun with it. That's what I'm talking about. Or the people who say, you know, I think that that's an, that's an interesting question is probably the most, the greatest compliment you can get. Because if you make somebody think, and, and we're sitting here having an awesome discussion and it's going like deep as shit. I mean, you're, you're doing some really deep work with the type of inquiries that we're going on about on this show and yours but really it's sort of a deep reflection of yourself because you get to choose the guests you know uh, you'll have some people even approach you serendipitously that's like hey come on the show and you don't know much about them you have them on and it's like holy shit like you start to believe in the universe a little bit just because of the synchronicity of how perfect it was. Brandon Joe Williams is one of these and uh, Ryan Sprague as well. I actually have countless of these. So it's this um, reflection to yourself that you get to curate yourself. And I don't censor content here. If I flub something, if I'm saying too many ands and ums and shit, I work on it for the next show. You know, I'm like, I, I'm not, but I'm also not critical of myself. This is just how I speak. I don't go back and you know, go anal over it or whatever I used to. Um, but now it's just such a, it's, it's just so different. And I know you're, you're feeling this as well with the shows is it's just, it's changed. It's chill. You get to learn as much as you want. You get to grow in such a massive way and you can't explain it to your mom. Is that how you, your experience has been with this? Oh yeah, definitely. When I first started doing, I was like a 45 minute episode was my very first episode and it was on like moral philosophy. And I probably spent a good like six hours editing it. Cause I wasn't, fully aware of like what I was trying to do with it at the time. But as the show's gone on, it's like, you just, you fall more into yourself than you realize. And I've said it a million times on my show, man. Like I never feel more myself than when I'm on the show. Cause it's like, there's no filters on it. You know, you go into normal society, you can't have all these deep conversations because just not everybody's like that all the time. So it's like, once you get used to having the deep conversations, it's like you really learn how to really just be yourself and be a character, you know, in a good way, of course, not like pretending to be somebody else. And you just you flourish with it, man. Your show becomes you just as much as you become your show, because it, it's that influx, like I was saying, where it's it's about your personality and the show itself. And you just let it grow and let it flourish. And, 
you never know when you might end up, man. You just got to keep being yourself, keep riding with it. And the less you sense yourself, then the less insecure you are about yourself. And then in turn from there, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just massive growth and love all around, man. Does this guy know how to party or what? Hey, <laughs> We're so grateful you're here, man. We love the shit out of you. So again, guys, all the ways to find him, his amazing show are going to be linked down in the show notes. So uh, first question for you really to kick off sort of the things that we wanted to talk about on this is what was it like growing up in a haunted house, dude? Tell us about that. So actually kind of a little bit of a backstory before I get into that full part of it. So when I was a kid, I used to do ast- like dream traveling, astro traveling without really realizing what I was doing. But the only way that I really knew that it was happening was because I would wake up and get sleep paralysis after. But like I would do some weird stuff. Like I would go to different places, like other people's houses, for example. And I would do this weird thing. Where I'd be like, oh, this was sitting in this spot. And the person would be like, oh, well, how how would you know that? <laughs> like, So that's when I started realizing there was more to it than me just dreaming in particular. So I had this like kind of like weird elevated consciousness without really like understanding really what was happening. And I tried to like repress it a little bit. But then... Moving into when I was in, I think it was about eighth grade. Yeah, it was eighth grade or so. My uh, mom started dating this new guy and he bought this foreclosed house. And the weird part about this house was that whoever was living in it before tried to destroy this house in some way, shape or form. Like they apparently turned on all the water in the house, tried to flood out the basement, completely destroy this house. So when we moved, ended up moving into the house because he wasn't able to like see the inside of it. He was just, you know, it was one of those foreclosed houses you can only see from the outside before you buy it. Um, he was a construction worker, so he knew how to fix stuff up. So he wasn't really too worried about it. But uh, we came into the house and the basement was the weirdest part about it. The basement had a bunch of pages of the Bible torn out and just scattered all over the basement, which I found super duper weird at first. But this house, it was not just like the typical haunting. It was like a buildup haunting. And it got to a point where I didn't really know if all of the weird things I was seeing was because of this whole astro traveling experiences that I was having as a kid, or if it was the house itself. So like weird things would happen, like, uh, you know, you'd go to the bathroom at night and you'd see like a outline of somebody behind you, a silhouette. You'd see these like dark black, like cloud looking orbs that would just like move down the hallway really, really slow at night. And it was just a buildup that everybody, like their worst aspects of their emotions started coming out the longer people lived in this house. And luckily I was able to, I got kicked out of the house when I was like 18 or so. So I was able to get away from it. And I was, I just saw how progressively worse everybody was getting. And just the the house itself, it's really, really hard to explain. It's like, it didn't really have its own solid, like apparitions, like one specific person or anything like that. There was just this like dark evil, like presence to the house. And how I've always kind of seen that type of stuff is that there was like maybe like a veil spot, you know, like a thinning of the veil, maybe even potentially like a portal of some sort. But there was just definitely something super weird and evil in that house. And it just built up to the point where everybody would eventually start fighting with each other, um, like unnaturally fighting with each other, just over like the weirdest, smallest things. And I spent most of my teenage years trying to express this to everybody in the house, but Nobody even believed in any of it besides me. And even just trying to explain my like astral slash dream traveling experiences, like nobody, nobody really got it or believed in it in the first place, but it would just be super weird because I would astral travel and come back and I would see whole groups of like shadow people standing all around me, particularly this one with green eyes that would always stare at me from a distance and it was taller than all the rest. And again, I never knew how to necessarily differentiate it 
from, was it the house itself that was doing that? Or was it these things around me because of the astro traveling? So kind of figured I had to explain part of that a little bit, but um, I'd say one of like the big things that happened in that house was my grandpa passed away when I was about uh, probably like six or seven. And he used to work in a different state during the week. And then he would come back on Fridays, spend the weekend with my grandma and his way of always letting her know that he was home would be that he would turn the light on in the hallway so that she could just wake up and see the light and know that he was home for the weekend. So whenever something weird in this house would happen, the light would flick on. And I always felt this presence that my grandpa was around. So the whole time I was in this house, my grandpa was around protecting me. And there was this one particular night that I was sleeping in. I I had like a futon bed, um, like one of the fold out couch style ones with a really thin mattress. And I had somebody else sleeping over and the middle of the bed started lifting up. And I heard my grandpa's voice go, stop. And the bed dropped back down. And I remember seeing this dark shadow cloud being just moved down the hallway. And I just felt this like presence, like my grandpa was around. So it's like, if it wasn't for my grandpa being around, dude, like who knows what, how my emotions would have turned out from that house. But I always kept a cool head around it because as soon as stuff started feeling really, really weird, I had this really fulfilling, like loving feeling that my grandpa was around and it seemed like a lot of the stuff would stop. And to this day, man, like he still turns on the light. Like I always know he's around. There's been a few times where I need to get some stuff done. And I'll wake up with the light flicking on and I'm just like, all right, grandpa, I know you're trying to get me to get some stuff done, man. He keeps pushing me along, man. He's been around and watching forever, man. (laughs) Damn. So grandpa's in the house with you now, or are you in that house? I'm in a totally different house now. I'm in my own house. My mom and her boyfriend still live in that house and still don't believe in it, even though I've seen their emotions rise to a point where I've had to kind of separate from myself from them. And I haven't talked to them in a long time because it just brought out so bad at like their, their bad parts of their personalities that that's all that they are now at this point is just those bad parts. And no matter how much I would speak on it, man, like they never believed in the paranormal. They never believed in any of that kind of stuff. So they just never wanted to believe me for it. And my mom's boyfriend was an atheist. So that's one thing. My mom grew up in a household that was uh, Catholic. And it's, it's funny sometimes though, that even people that grow up in religious households still don't want to believe in the supernatural, even though the book that they live their life by is based on the supernatural, you know, it's it's a weird concept, (laughs) but it's crazy, dude. So how old were you when all this was going down? Uh, let's see. I started, I moved into that house when I was in eighth grade. So between eighth grade to 12th grade. So I was there for five years. So I had to have been, let's see, um, probably 15, like 14, Yep, probably like 13, 14 until about 18, yeah. Okay. Damn. So what do you think the beings were that were standing around your body? Do you think that they were protecting you or do you think that they were waiting for you to get back? Or do you think that they were kind of waiting for some sort of astral time to come to go up before they hop in your body and start driving it around? See, I've had so many different scattered views on shadow people, no matter how many times I've researched into them. You know, everybody typically talks about like the hat man. Uh, They talk about like the red eyed hat man or anything, for example, but I've never really heard too much as far as like different colors or variations, but I never really got like, of course you get like a creeped out feeling when you have a bunch of things are watching you, but I've never really gotten like a malevolent feeling from these things. It was more so that I almost felt like they were just watching out of curiosity for what I, what I was doing. And I had these weird, like dream travel dreams where I would be like in these obstacle courses. And when I came back, these things would always be like watching. And it just seemed like 
it was kind of weird, but like they were like building me up for something or like trying to see like what I could potentially do. And kind of weird after I left that house, I never remember my dreams unless they're extremely vivid dreams. And I still get sleep paralysis sometimes, but half the time I don't end up remembering the dream beforehand. But like the last time I got like really, really heavy sleep paralysis, um, it was right after uh, my my lady and I have we've had our second kid now. So it's it's there's a happy ending to the story, of course. But in between uh, my first kid and having my second kid, uh, we're having some trouble with trying to have the second kid. Um, so after eight weeks, uh, there wasn't a heartbeat. Uh, she ended up, have, ended up having like a miscarriage and everything. And it was just very, you know, upsetting, troubling time at, at that time. And uh, I had this experience where I was in the middle of this place. The best I can describe it is it was like the middle of space. And it was like this purple, purple, like nebula looking place. And I wasn't really standing or floating in it. I was just kind of existing within it. And this little kid that looked just like me, about six years old, came up to me and said, that vessel wasn't a good one. I'll see you on the next one. And weirdly enough, I woke up, had sleep paralysis. So that's when I questioned, did I actually go somewhere? That couldn't have been a dream. And about a month and a half later, I figured out that uh, we were, she was pregnant again. And just a little bit later on, figured out it was a boy. And I still, every single day, try to remember what that kid looked like so that I can keep it in the forefront of my head so I can have a standard of comparison when I get to this point. But uh, my son's about two now. And I'm going to see if that's the exact kid that I saw when he's about six. And from everything that I've seen so far, the face is the same, man. Like, I I don't know exactly where I went, but I just feel like it may have been where the universal consciousness exists. And after that is when I started really digging into this, like, deep spiritual stuff. And this was, like, right before I started my podcast. And this was part of the reason why I ended up starting the podcast is because it's just it's such an unexplained experience. Like, I didn't know quite where to place it. So like, that's kind of where I get like a lot of my spiritual side from is particularly that experience. And I, I can get into it a little bit later, but I had this other weird dream where I was like dimension hopping. But yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll dig into that one in a little bit. Um, but then the other side of it that I kind of got into all the cryptid stuff was off of a bizarre encounter, which also, you know, we can dig into a little bit later on, but <laughs> that, that, that's, that was kind of like the birth of where a lot of this stuff started at, which is me having my own strange experiences and not quite knowing where to place them. And so for a while I tried to repress a lot of them and my way of repressing it for a while was that, you know, I was, I was, I was a really bad alcoholic for a while. Um, just basically just trying to not think about any of this cause I didn't know where to place it in my head at all. And then just like a lot of people have dealt with stuff like that, I kind of had this uh, psychedelic renaissance, for lack of better terms, uh, where rather than running away from problems, I decided that I wanted to start facing them head on. And through using psychedelics, it just kind of expanded my awareness of the possibility of all of these strange, bizarre things existing. And rather than trying to repress myself, instead, I wanted to expand myself and really start learning about all of the weird things that are around me. And I mean, of course, psychedelics aren't necessarily for everybody, but, you know, if you're the right type of mind, I feel like they're extremely beneficial as far as getting over some past trauma, uh, learning how to deal with it head on because you're almost stuck with it for a little while. And uh, as soon as you are able to really use it as a tool to really learn how to like self-develop yourself, then from there, you may not ever need it again. Like, I mean, it's been a couple of years since I've done any of it, but honestly, my expansion in consciousness as far as digging into all the things that I, I dig into um, all stem from bizarre experiences. And then my little bit of a psychedelic renaissance, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Damn. 
Uh, we're going to work backwards from that, but outstanding. So uh, the psychedelics renaissance that you talked about, I don't disagree with you. The last two times that I did mushrooms, once with a microdose, uh, the most immediate, and then time before that was just sort of a four gram, you know, normal dose, whatever. And uh, both times I was anxious as shit, almost like, like I'd outgrown the experience, so therefore like I didn't belong there. You know, it's sort of like... Um, I guess trying to go back to discovery zone after you've outgrown it physically and you try and run through the tunnels and you try and go up the net thing and it's just not as fun just because it's not for you anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's interesting that you said that you kind of um, put it down for a little bit and I, I don't disagree. I have no intention of uh, in introducing myself to psychedelics anymore. I um, The last psychedelic I really did was this past March uh, was DMT, my first smoked DMT experience and it was five stars. Anybody wants to check that out, I highly <laughs> recommend that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been, um, sort of a, but it was, God, it's been the biggest linchpin in my eye-opening perception as well. I mean, squeegeeing that third eye right clean was, uh, psychedelics the whole way and a myriad of them. So it's interesting that you put it like that. I also want to know about your dimension hopping. So tell us about this. So this was another one of those dreams that I didn't quite know where to place, but it was so vivid. It was ridiculous. And everybody talks about the like twin flame concept when you just know that there's a specific person that you're supposed to be with. And within this, it all happened over the course of a night, but it felt like it was about a six month period where I would be in this one reality that everything seemed like it was really, really close, but a little bit off. And I try to find my girlfriend Gabby in it. And when I found her, she just wasn't quite herself. And I went through that one and then it got a little bit weirder going into the next one where she was like this like punk girl and she was like aware of who I was, but I knew that it wasn't her, like exactly how I know her. And I just did this continuous thing where I like dimension hopped back and forth through all of these different places and I just wasn't able to find her. And it got to the point where I didn't think I was ever going to be able to come back. And then I woke up again for another time because each time it was going into different dimensions, I was waking up. Like I would go to sleep, wake up, go to sleep, wake up. And it was just, I'd be in all these different places. So when I got to the last one, I didn't even know if I was actually like dimension hopping again, or if I was in my own reality again, but dude, it was so prolific and vivid that I ended up tearing up and crying when I turned over and realized that she was there after that couple moments of sleep paralysis that it just... I don't know, man. It was just one of the most horrifying experiences that I've ever dealt with just because I was so far into it that I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to come back. And the whole concept of me getting sleep paralysis after, because I've always kind of used that as my marker to know when I was astro traveling or dimension hopping, because I've experienced sleep paralysis at least like a good 50 times, not if probably more than that, to be honest with you. I never really like counted it just because it would happen so often. Uh, but particularly there is when I really, really started diving into the whole concept of like dimensions and like time slips. And right before that was when I was starting to kind of dig into some people that claim that they never really came back. Like I would hear these stories of people where they would, you know, wake up and they'd be like, all right, why is my dog a different breed? Everything else is the same, but why is my dog a little bit different? And so just hearing all of those stories like that, um, just made me wonder if like timelines correct themselves or if it's possible that you could get stuck in other timelines. And while all that was going on, I was like horrified that I was going to get trapped in another timeline. And, you know, once you're, if you dimension hop like that and you're trying to explain to people what happened, of course, nobody's going to believe it, even those other dimensions, even if you know everything's off. It's kind of like getting into like the Mandela effect, man. Like you try to argue with people about like, oh, this is how I remember stuff. And they're right. like, no, your memory is just off. 
It's like, yeah, it's the but best thing ever. It's the yeah, best like style. I know it, you know, like yeah. <laughs> you can't tell me any different. Like I know my own memories, man. Like, <laughs> but do you, you know what I mean? Have you ever seen the movie dark city? Yes. I'm glad okay. that you brought that up. Cause I just talked to somebody about this the other day. Yeah. My favorite line in that movie is we know who you are. We use your dead as vessels. I'm like, Oh, because it makes you think of like this whole idea of the Mr. Smith effect and these things kind of right in your face that really were just vessels, any of the things here. So you don't know what the hell is driving it, especially if you're talking about dimension hopping. Now you're talking perhaps about this multiverse idea to where there's like a shitload of yous, right? Meaning that there was a shitload of hers as well. And so you were just going through realities as you recognized by different hers, but she was different. But then therefore your consciousness slipped into the body of a you that's why you could perceive her as being different, but she always recognized you as the same in each one. It's trippy as shit, dude. And this also could explain like why people like lose their mind or why people suddenly change and like just get their shit together. And maybe this is what they're talking about, their higher self coming in, is that really it kind of pings off of decisions you're making three timelines ago or away and down or something like this. And then you're able to kind of make these decisions that answer that call and shift over. And even that, like maybe that's what a twin flame is, this sort of idea of this... Uh, spooky action at a distance, you know, maybe you're quantum entangled and that'd be a trippy fucking thing about life anyway. Let's say that there's a fuckload of timelines out there, right? And your higher self is on one and you're on the other, but you've got to navigate across all these fucking timelines in a 3D and 4D way probably before you can get back to each other. But they're all kind of moving and moving in different directions and at different speeds and it's all this fucking crazy shit if you think about it. But then Whenever you're timeline jumping, it would you would need a vessel in each reality to do that in, right? Essentially, if you were going to one with to where these laws applied and you needed a vessel to walk around, all that. So if that's the case and the multiverse is a thing and that when you do dimension hop, you kind of, you know, there's a transition between when that consciousness is there and you hop into it. Because uh, then it calls in the question, and I'm going to talk about that in sleep paralysis in a second, but then it calls in a question that are any of the yous out there in any multiverse, are they any main characters or are they powered by some sort of consciousness other than an automatic one waiting for you to hop into? You know what I'm saying? Sort of like you are the central consciousness that's navigating and activating, but how you're navigating is through different vessels of entities like bodies. Like let's just keep it simple and say your human body in every life. And you're navigating each of those to get to your highest self. It's a weird, you bring up like weird things. We, you know, every time you and I speak, by the way, um, this is why I was so excited about this conversation is because you get me in this like really imaginative mindset with this to where you really push sort of the uh, bounds with this and you expand the shit out of my reality. So uh, I appreciate that, dude. Oh, dude, I love getting into this deep type of like theoretical conversation, because one thing that I've kind of wondered is everybody talks about the whole NPC concept. Right. Maybe that's because consciousness is split between a bunch of different dimensions, but there's a focal point that you're looking at at any specific time. And the other yous in those other realities are NPCs, you know, right. what's what everybody else is experiencing. So maybe some of the people that we see as like the NPC type people in our reality might be because they're fixed focal point for their consciousness is actually somewhere else. Or maybe it's a matter of consciousness is significantly more complex than we could ever possibly imagine because it's able to split itself amongst a bunch of different realities and stay conscious within those realities. And it's just a matter of it's split in the aspect of each different split version of reality only is able to perceive their reality that's in front of them 
but it's all conjoined into these multiple realities that are all happening to this bigger consciousness that's controlling all of those consciousnesses. And maybe that's even where stuff like deja vu comes into play is that there's certain points where something happens so close in this reality, in this reality that the consciousness starts blending those two together. And you're like, wait a second. And you have to like differentiate them a little bit because you're actually controlling multiple vessels all at once without even realizing it, you know? And it's just a matter of sometimes they just cross over. And that's when you have these like weird experiences. Like uh, you've seen something that happened before, or you can see what's going to happen before it actually happens. It's because in another timeline, something very similar to that has already happened. Or if time isn't necessarily linear to begin with in the first place, then you know that your reality and your timeline for each of these different consciousnesses that you're viewing the world through. And maybe when each of them pass away, then that's when you have the idea where your consciousness elevates because all of your pieces come back together. And then maybe they go back out and they resplit amongst a different group of people. Cause you hear about the whole past life concept, you know, maybe you are, you know, say for example, Brandon in every reality right now, but when each of those Brandons passes away, then you become a different person altogether at that point. And it's still the same consciousness just transferring into multiple realities at the same time, playing the same character in multiple realities at the same time. Right. Just like Jet Li's The One. Have you ever seen that shit? Jason yes, So does that mean that I need to get interdimensional travel down and go kill all the me's out there and then I'll get superpowers and shit? Hey, maybe that or maybe you'll elevate your consciousness and then maybe you'll be going to like a spectator mode or rather than actually being a physical existing person within this reality, you'll just be spectating reality. And that's when you get into all these like astral travel concepts is that you're actually like in spectator mode because you're not really in a reality. You're able to transverse between realities. I'd like both. I'd like to be observant, observable, but then be able to come here in a body and do whatever the fuck I want, but with conscious awareness that I can just dip the fuck out anytime I want. You know what I mean? In a super easy, just here you go kind of way. Not in the dogma way, like in the Kevin Smith film Dogma, whenever uh, God uh, is this old man at a pier and then he gets jumped by these skater punks, these rollerblader punks to be specific because it was the 90s. And, um, they like uh, get him in a coma or something like that. So now the physical vessel that contains God, all of God is now in a coma and it can't, she can't die or anything. And now God's stuck there, which is sort of the premise of the movie. It's funny. But then, then if you think about some shit like that, like that's dumb, that feels like what's happening to us now. It feels like we're sort of stuck in this thing and we don't know that we can just dip out anytime we want. Like some people like you have these ability to astral travel or to dreams and things like that. I haven't explored that deliberately. I'd say that I just don't dream, you know, it's easy. But um, I haven't gotten into the astral travel thing, and I, I wanted you to, if you don't mind, give us some tips here in a minute when I stop gabbing here. But it's this whole idea of um, that this uh, reality is so flexible and that um, your body is so fluid and that things are just so willy-nilly here, especially when, like, possession and um, anything like that comes into play. It's just such an odd thing to think how it, how it can happen, why it would happen, why nobody, you know, is really telling you about it. Because then it just leads you to think that it's hidden because it's not good for you or it's not a good thing. Not that it's uh, some wisdom to be explored at a deeper level. You know, to some degree, one could say that. So um, what do you think about that? Any comments on that? And then also astral travel tips. I'm just curious, you know, I mean, how do I get started with this stuff? I know it comes naturally to you, but that may give you some, I guess, simplified insight to offer that's uncomplicated. You can be like, yeah, you just do this and this and you're out. See, the funny part about it is that I don't actually ever control when I do it. It's more like it just happens. See, because the few times that I've actually tried to do things to be able to control it or become aware in the dream, 
it goes into like hijack mode where it decides to go off on its own side tangent. But like one thing that I've done is it's almost like the best way to describe it is like leaving a light on in the back of the house where I'll put on like a nightlight and I'll make sure that it's within my my visual eyesight where even I will have my eyes closed, I can still see the light. And when I do that, it seems like it's a good starting point to make it so that you can become aware that you're in the dream. But every single time that I become aware that I'm in the dream and I try to control things and I try to astro travel, then it goes into hijack mode. Like one specific time, um, I became aware that I was in a dream. So I went into the bathroom and I was like, all right, I'm going to try to do whatever I want within this. And the second I tried to do that, all the walls dropped out and I started flying through space like at a super high rate, which is horrifying as cool as it sounds but like see so i feel like there's a different thing to it there's some people that can fully control the things and then there's some people that have like a purpose that they're supposed to do when they're within these things and i feel like i have like a purpose that i do on the other side which is why i don't remember these dreams because there's other factors that are controlling it that are wanting me to do specific things when i'm within these dreams that's why i got into the whole shadow people concept that i feel like they're observing to see what my capabilities were because it seemed like after that trial error where I was like, they're trying to see what I was capable of. That's when I stopped remembering any of my dreams. And if I do there, it's like once every couple months and it'll be some like really crazy, weird, vivid, like doesn't make any sense type of like dream. But usually those I'm in like weird places, like battling and like fighting weird things, which is why I, like I said, I think, some people have a purpose that they're supposed to do within like the astral realm. And like the last few ones that I had that I remember that were extremely vivid were all these like post-apocalyptic events. And they just felt so real to the point where like, I'd feel pain in the dream, which is, I was looking it up and they say only like 1% of people will do that. And I've thrown this idea at a few different people saying like, Oh, they're like, Oh, maybe you fell asleep on your hand. Maybe you did this. Maybe you did that. I'm like, no, I literally woke up because I was in pain. And when I woke up, I had to check myself to make sure I didn't have like cuts and scrapes on me because I felt the pain still when I woke up. Like, how else do you explain that? What was the injury that you felt like you got? Well, the last one, I uh, got bit on the hand by an alligator, as weird as that sounds. And I felt like the full clamp and I felt the blood dripping down my hand and I woke up from it and I literally felt the like blood still dripping off my hand and I like checked it and I didn't see anything and it lasted a couple minutes after I woke up that I still like full on felt the pain in my hand and there was like another one where uh, I'd gotten stabbed in the back of the neck and I felt that sharp shooting pain going down my spine and it freaked me out after because I woke up with sleep paralysis of course right after oh, that so I was like me, afraid dude, right? that somehow my spine was <laughs> yeah, severed and I was going to be paralyzed. like <laughs> not yeah paralyzed for the rest of my life dude it was horrifying man like it's cool and horrifying at the same time. It's like, right. it's really hard to explain, you know? <laughs> yeah. With the sleep paralysis, what do you think that is? Uh, you know, I've heard the idea that um, when you do astral travel, basically your body goes into some sort of stasis and it's just kind of hanging out there, you know? And then when you're astral travel, you're gone. And so that's your main consciousness, which also is what animates this body. And so when it's gone, that's kind of chilling. And maybe again, maybe the shadow beings were kind of protecting you or your grandpa was making sure they didn't fondle your butthole or something like that. And then maybe <laughs> while you're out there, um, whenever you come back, I've heard again that there's sort of this lag. It can be, you know that dogs know when their owners will be home like 25 miles out. Did you know mm -hmm. that? They've done yeah, this like dude. study, it's on video and shit like that. It's sort of like your body sort of goes into an alert mode, but the owner's not home yet. You know, it knows that it's coming. You're wagging your tail, but there's no tail to wag because you can't animate. It's sort of like, no, 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 you got to hang on. Your soul's stuck at a stoplight real quick. It's it's on the way. 
when he gets here, yeah, you'll have full use of your body back. But the fact that you're aware of it is kind of what blows. You know what I mean? That it seems like a clunky transition is all. It seems like you're doing something amazing and magical and super fucking cool. But the fact that there's this terrifying overlap uh, seems clunky to me. Like, um, I don't know, like, a, do you think that it's training or that it's clunky, you know, an oversight? See, the way that I've kind of explained sleep paralysis, at least for myself, I know everybody has their different theories on it, but the best way that I kind of envision it and what it feels like for me is that it's like the body restarting back up. Like imagine like the old computers, you know, they're functioning, they're working, you shut them off, you start them back up. They need that couple minutes in order to recalibrate in order to be able to run. So I feel like when you astro travel and your consciousness like leaves your vessel, that there's that clunky period where it comes back in and it's like rebooting itself back up. And that's why you're mentally there, but it still has to recalibrate with the rest of your body. That's probably the best way I can describe it, or at least what it feels like to me, at least, is that it's like a recalibration period where it's like, usually you start off with like your fingers and toes being able to wiggle those first. And I feel like that's because it's calibrating from the toes back up. And then all of a sudden you have the spark up where you're just able to run again. It's like, it's like starting up an old computer. That's that's the best way that I could describe it and what it has always felt like to me every single time that I've had it. When and you those, can move, go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying, and then like the shadow people, I just felt like they were, it's either two different ways to look at it. Either one, they're waiting to make sure that you get back into your vessel properly because I have a bunch of different theories on shadow people and I don't think necessarily all of them are as they are perceived. Um, or it could be that whole idea that something else is trying to get into your vessel. I mean, it depends on which way you're looking at it and I guess how bad your experiences are. But um, I mean, at least for me, I felt like they were making sure that nothing else came in, into my vessel. Cause I never had any like, you know, violent encounters with like shadow people, for example. But I think that shadow people in general, there's a bunch of different diversity between them because I mean, everybody talks about the shit, like, you know, like I said, the hat man, the ones that have the glowing red eyes, the wisps, all that different stuff. But, you know, either one, they could be something that's coming from a void dimension and they're completely black and that's just what they are. Or two, the one thing that I kind of more geared towards is that there's something that doesn't exist within our light spectrum. So we're not seeing them properly. Like our brain knows that something's there. So it lays over this black image um, because it can't make out what these things actually look like. So a bunch of people have shadow people experiences. They'll associate them as all the same thing. But I think that it's different types of beings that are existing outside of our light spectrum that we can't make up. So there's good ones, there's bad ones, and it all kind of depends on what's going on with you at the time. But you know, I don't think that they're necessarily as most people perceive them. I think that there's something that's outside. There's some type of energy being that's outside of our light spectrum that we're not able to make up. So our brain just fills in the gap and knows that something's there, but doesn't know what to fill them in as because you can't perceive the colors that they are. Yeah. Or it's just too damn terrifying. And you'll just like your heart will stop or you'll spontaneously combust. Something yep. crazy, man. Cause I never had like any of the hag experiences or anything. Like most people that sleep paralysis will feel like the, you know, the, the demon yeah. sitting in her chest or see like Ugh. the old lady in the corner. Wow, There's more so just these like silhouette shadows that would just be around the room, like watching, like they were like either one making sure that everything was safe within that or two waiting for their opportunity to come in. But I never got that evil feeling off these things. So I felt like they were more so things that were watching to make sure I got back in safely and particularly like the green eyed one. I mean, you get into like auras and usually green represents, you know, like nature, nature, um, nurturing, like 
heart. caring for, yeah. for things. So like, I never got that evil feeling from this thing. I felt like the green eyes were actually supposed to represent that this was some type of like nurturing being. And it was actually watching to make sure that I made it back safely because it never even came close to me. Never felt any type of like weird feeling from this thing whatsoever. It was more like this, like, like, I don't want to say like a mother feeling, but like, you know, that, the, the feeling of comfort that you have when you're like around your mom, like that's kind of what it felt like. Like it was some type of like nurturing being that was trying to make sure that I was getting back safely. And even if all the other ones were something bad, that was the big one. That was the tall one. And it was there to make sure that everything happened as it was supposed to, and no other bad things happened in the process of it. I kind of think that, and we're just going to talk here, buddy. It's interesting to me uh, that there's there's such an interest in in that and that you get a good feeling from it because there is a benevolence, which can also be projected and hijacked. You can admit that uh, it could be just red, but it's showing you green if it could show you anything it wants, right? And so, you know, do you think that it may be some sort of uh, something a little more sinister, but in a way that you can't do anything about it and you kind of have a good situation going with what you've got and that I... I'll just say it like this. I, I've been thinking again about Prison Planet. Yes, guys, I'm still talking about Prison Planet out there. Thank you for still listening if you are. <laughs> um, again, I'm not a wholehearted believe in it. I'm not like, fuck yes, this is the theory. It's just something that has been on my mind. And it's an, it's whenever I go down a new cave in this consciousness exploration, I'm going to see all the faces of the rocks. I'm going to look at everything in the cave. I need to check all of it out, not just open the door and go, nope, that's dumb, and then shut it like Flat Earth or something like that, right? You, you really got to go into this. So... In this idea, I was thinking the other day, just walking around, I was like, you know, maybe all of this is, if this is a prison, right? Let's say that this is, well, we can equate it to one, to where you're a food source, so therefore it's more valuable to keep you alive, right, than to kill you, okay? Um, that's why the threat of your life ending, what's that story about, like, um, the dude that showed up every day and then he said, you know, uh, good night, maybe I'll kill you tomorrow, and it was like this story about this dude's master that was training him, and like every single day he did this psychological war fuckery with him and just said like you did great today good night maybe i'll kill you tomorrow or something like that and it was this weird mind fuck to where you're constantly like yeah you're kept alive but also you're kept in check so i kind of had this idea with all of these entities with the pleiadians with the um it's something i noticed with the contact phenomena spe specifically to put it there for a second is is that whenever people are contacted by the pleiadians like billy meyer for instance that he was only contacted by that. Like it wasn't some grays trying to move in on their territory. It wasn't um, anything else, right? Uh, a this happens in a consistent theme. Now, one could say that this splits off in many branches and it absolutely does. And you're the kind of guy to talk about this shit with and thank you for that. We one could say that, well, you need to perceive whatever you're interfacing with that way. So therefore it's always gonna show itself that way. But it could also be that you've just basically got Sticking with the prison model and with all due respect, you you basically are a bitch for something, but everybody's a bitch for something, right? Everybody's bitched out or you're just on your own and you get this sovereignty and whatever. I think there's a time when you're not bitched out. But what I mean to say is if you're outsourcing your power to something you don't see or understand, essentially there's a quid pro quo possibly going on there that you can't prove from your perspective. So you can't rule it out. Um, and that is happening that's it. It's benefit, not necessarily yours, but again, it's kind of a sweet deal because you're in prison anyway, and it's better than roughing it on your own. And you don't want to be with these, um, you know, uh, Zeta Reticuli equivalent to the Aryan Brotherhood or something, you know, because you don't like their politics. You know what I'm saying? So you sort of gravitate towards shadow being and astral travel. And this is the way you interface with this 
entity, but it's still sort of a prison bitch type situation with all due respect. It's just interesting again, to think of like people who then say, Oh, Archangel Michael and Oh, um, this particular entity, it is, it is a relationship you have, but I don't feel that you're fully aware of the relationship at its core because it is in the shadows. I mean, we're talking about shadow people for Christ's sake. We're not talking about light illuminated beings that are clearly shown to me and clearly state their intentions. They're fucking shadow people. And so there's always this era of mystery and questioning about their intentions. And when you're out of your body, like who knows if they're not like just dripping little jizz parasites in you, you know, something very subtle that you don't know and you wouldn't see, right? But maybe it over the long term has an effect. It's just like a mind fuck when you start to think about the kind of access things have to you or what that even means. Like what, what if you're just the thing that has temporary access to this thing that you feel like you're, uh, it, it, that is so important, you know what I'm saying? And that all this is just fleeting anyway. And it really, there's a, there was a being riding you 20 minutes ago. You're just not really consciously aware of it because it happens so goddamn often. It's a weird thing, dude. No, I'm with you on that. Cause like I said, like a lot of these dreams, I don't remember them and I'll get like sleep paralysis after. So, I mean, like maybe I am getting used for another purpose in another reality. And this thing is just there to make sure that I get back into this reality safely. So from your perspective of not knowing what's happening when you do the astro traveling, you know, you're like, all right, this thing isn't evil. It's just making sure I'm getting back into my vessel. But the whole purpose of making sure that you get back in your vessel could be that you're useful for them somewhere else. Right. And they want to make sure that you make it back safe because they want to be able to use you again the following night. <laughs> get this drunk soldier back to his barracks. We need to make sure that he's accountable for and presents for duty in the morning, post for duty in the morning. Pretty much. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. like if you're getting into like the whole prison planet concept too, like who knows who the masterminds could be controlling all of this stuff, you know, like maybe this is a reality that's simulated for us that they want us to exist in. But that doesn't mean that if there's something special about a particular person that's useful within another reality, that they're not going to take you and use you within that other place. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they still want you again to get, make sure you get back into your cell safely because you're useful to them over here, but they still want you over here. Like it's like suicide they, squad, dude. Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> but I thought about this a few times. So, I mean, no, no offense taken whatsoever, man. Like I, I've, I've been curious many times if I'm just the useful idiot when it comes to these things, you know, good like, on you, man, you're very self-aware. You're asking the right questions. I think that's all it is. I'm not against any of this shit. I'm just, uh, I mentioned things to just encourage question asking, you know, and yeah, it's a dark perspective, but you gotta, you don't gotta do anything. You do whatever the fuck you want. But I would say whenever it comes down to it, asking these questions just so that it facilitates a balanced perspective has been the biggest difference for me. In including this in the conversation has been the biggest difference for me. And I'm just on a hard spindulum, spindulum, right? A pendulum swing. Um, that I'm just on a real hard one right now to this like darker perspective, but I'm really, again, exploring that niche in the cave. I'm really looking at it, uh, to really kind of, uh, look into the ideas and I'm already, I mean, I even asked how do you, uh, when he came on the show, you know, how do we know this isn't all, you know, just a sigh up from you and uh, you're a representative of some dark force trying to get us not to go back where we should, which is into the light, which is really the next level. And then we kind of sidestep into this thing we don't understand and then end up getting swapped back here but worse anyway, like how do we know that this isn't a whole psyop, right? Because you can't, all these are just theories and ideas that you're formulating based off of shit information, man. It's we don't have good information. That's the whole thing. And it's it's sort of the piecing together of it, the escape roomism of it, that it seems to be the mechanism. You know, it seems to be like the, what keeps you going, but then 
you know, it's just, it, it gets down to like the, what is your usefulness here? You know, if your job isn't to make an impact in any traditional way or like real way that we all think that we're going to, if that's not possible here, which is what this idea sort of lends itself to, that it's not a broken machine that's going to get fixed. It's, it, it's performing perfectly because of your idea that it needs to be fixed perpetuates the, you know, ness of it. it. It's, it's a perfect machine in that way. And so therefore you abandon the idea of fixing this place. So then it, it kind of hits you in the purpose, you know? It's like, I got a shot in my purpose, dude. And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And so that's really when it gets down to you. This is where the meaning of life is meaningless inherently has never been truer, but to find meaning still and to just, and to know that, or to feel strongly that it's a high likelihood that this is a prison. Um, and then to flip all the fucking guards off as you're walking around and to no longer be a food source and to choose to shine the fuck out of the light in the face of the darkness, not just to shine it to get through the dark, but to shine it at the fucking darkness is a different thing altogether. And I think that that's where the, that's where the powers lie for me. That's where it's, it's been a bigger change uh, for me was, which is in this shit because, and that's why I'm ready for whatever entity wants to come talk to me. I've got a lot of fucking questions, dude. And um, I'm ready. I would both. interview him on the show. Yeah, I'll call you. We'll <laughs> interview him both. We'll do like a, a panel thing, you know, we'll do a Patreon deal. It's a weird place, man. Um, do you think that there's that this is going to be an answerable thing that you're going to find out the answers to this? Like what's what you're experiencing? I mean, I don't think within this reality that it's ever going to have be something that's answered. I think a lot of stuff is a matter of perspective. And we look at stuff from like the human perspective where stuff's either good or it's bad. But I think that with these things that exist beyond our reality, that that line doesn't necessarily exist like that. You know, there's things that just do things just for the sake of doing things. And it's hard for a human to like understand that concept, but it's just a matter of doing it for the sake of doing it. You know, like things that are dark don't always necessarily turn out to be evil and things that are light don't always necessarily turn out to be good. Fucking it's a. a matter of the perspective of what they're trying to do in the first place. And without bad you can't have good. And without that combination of both, then you can't have growth. If everything was always good, there would never be any growth. If there, everything was always bad, then, I mean, maybe there's, there's a point for growth, but with, within bad, there's going to be that, that sparkling shimmer of good that happens from that. So it's like, you need both in order to be able to understand things. And same with when you're trans, you know, like when you're going through life, you know, you have to acknowledge the dark just as much as you have to acknowledge the light to have an understanding of both sides. And the best path to usually pick is walking in the center with an understanding of both sides because both sides can potentially manipulate depending on what they're trying to do. And we're just looking at stuff from a human perspective. And I think that a lot of this stuff goes beyond the human perspective and we may not ever understand it until if, you know, we even become part of that astral realm, like who knows for sure, you know, but like everybody has their different theories on it, but you don't really ever know until you're there. But I mean, for me, at least, man, I feel like the meaning of life is experience and whether it's good or bad, it's something you can knock off the list to say that you've been through. So it's like, you know, people wonder why all this bad stuff happens to them. But it's like, if you didn't have that bad stuff happen to you, then you wouldn't have been able to say that you experienced that. And in turn, now having gone through that, now you can help people who are going through that because you have a perspective that most people that are like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll make it through it. You, you can bring a whole different light and say that I've been through this. This is the way that I've dealt with things. So you can turn a bad experience into something good just as much as you can turn a good experience into something bad. Because if you have somebody always boosting your ego, always telling you how great you are at everything, then your confidence is going to get too high in that aspect. And then you're going to, you know, not do things correctly because you just think that, you know, your shit don't stink essentially. 
Like you need to have a good balance of both. And that's the best way to go through life is just experience everything that there is to experience and just knock it off the list and know that it's something that you have now been through. And in turn, you are now stronger for having gone through it. And now you can help and teach others because of those experiences that you've had. Do you think free will is a thing? Mm, yes and no. I mean, it kind of depends on which perspective you're looking at it from. Because, I mean, if you're looking at it as everything's already happened and timelines are already set in stone, then free will may not be. But if there's multiple timelines all existing at once and the future actually hasn't happened yet, then, yeah, free will might actually be a thing. Um, it's It's kind of a hard question. It depends on which perspective you look at your reality through. But if you believe that time is necessarily linear and everything has already happened, then at that point, free will isn't necessarily a thing unless you start diverging into different timelines. And I mean, maybe that's where the matter comes up is that with every action or choice that you make, another timeline is then now created. So every timeline is set in stone, but depending on your perspective of which timeline you're traveling through depends on which actions you take. And with every action you take, you may potentially jump into different timelines and you know, everybody thinks about all these different parallel dimensions. Like, you know, they could be something just as simple as the only difference between this reality and that reality is the fact that you chose that you want a blue car instead of a black car. And, you know, because of later on in the timeline, that black car wasn't seen, you get hit by another car. If you chose the blue car, then the person that was going to swerve in oncoming traffic saw your car because it was a lighter color. And it gets into this like deep timeline concept of, are we creating timelines as we go or are they already set in stone? And can you pick which timeline you're going through depending on which decision you make or has that decision already been made for you depending on which timeline you're already traveling in? More terrifying. Are you ready for this? Oh yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> this is hell. And actually what you do is you live the same exact life over and over and over and over and over and over again. And really it's more of this stack time theory, right? And so yes, you live the same life, but you live this one and then it's stacked on that one. And then on that one, not from a, you were a peasant in the 1500s and then this happened and that happened because none of that shit may be true at all. You just live the exact same life over and over and over and over. And maybe deja vu is your remembering of that. And maybe also this idea of multiverse is sort of a consideration when you do figure out that this is a hell that you live constantly like a groundhog day, but not one single day, an entire life over and over and over, right? All the things. Because then in that way, you would be... It'd be a great, honestly, um, battery. Like if we are a battery or something like that, then you could get predictable outputs based on you know, uh, different units because you know that you can run that same program on any entity that occupies that vessel. Maybe they make a couple different choices, but inevitably these are the fucking pings because it's sort of set, you know, it's sort of a, it's outlined. And so there's where you get your illusion of free will because I could say, no, 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 because we have past lives we can point to. But what if it's not past lives you can point to? What if it's just the same damn life that you just chose a slightly different thing and you ended up in Alaska instead of Kansas, you know what I'm saying? And in this weird causality thing and maybe that's what doppelgangers are too it's like this overlay that you're living simultaneous if you want to put it hells or schools whatever your perspective is right now mine's in a prison so if you want to look at it like these different hells that you're experiencing in different realities but it's more of a, again a stacked thing to where every death is now you just coming out of your mom's vagina in the same exact setting situations and scenarios and then you physically go through and make all of the different choices you feel just sort of automatically rendered in a multiverse situation. It's not that someone else lived that, like where you're living and then there's another you and another you and another you and another you. 
And in one of those, I turned right and that one turned left. And then we just sort of parted ways and said, see you later, pal. But really, it's such a crazy hellscape that you will inevitably live all of those things because you just constantly make these different choices. But it's like this subconscious way of going about it because you're not consciously doing it, right? Because I'm not aware of that. That's just something we're talking about. I mean, it could be like the whole, like, imagine like a rat trapped in a lab that they want you to pick these specific paths and you just right. keep reliving the same life over and over again until you pick the paths that they wanted you God, to pick. But there's no going back, back and choosing a different way. You're just, you have to restart the entire thing oh, over right. again once you get to the end. You know what I mean? And you just continuously keep going through that cycle until you pick the ideal al algorithm or path that they want you to pick from the get-go. And that gets into that whole concept that you see the light at the end of the tunnel but at the end of the tunnel, it could be you being reborn again right. into that same life or into a whole different life, depending on which way you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, stick with the same life thing. Then it's then it's more terrifying because then at what level or gradient is are the decisions being judged? How would they be ramified? Because let's say that your goal is to put a certain key in a certain door at a certain time. And maybe you make it there, maybe you don't. There's many different ways of which you can go about this key. Um, but you need to do that wearing a blue shirt. Okay. And it, it can be that unspecific, but it can be that hard. You know what I mean? Because maybe you won't even be in that same city. Maybe that's not a reality in which exists. Maybe a nuclear bomb went off in that reality in which the door you were supposed to unlock. And so you're fucked. Right. And so it's this odd mind fuck with the level of which, how deep it goes. But again, if this is like the case, I'd like to navigate it. Like from a conscious perspective, I would like to know what it's like to physically walk over there, do it, but do it from a perspective of like conscious awareness. You know, I don't know if it ruined the game. I don't, and th which is ma what makes me feel like it's not really a game. And that if it is, we're uh, just the AI becoming self-aware kind of a thing, you know? I'm glad that you brought that up, man. Cause I always go back to this whole thought about us living in an organic simulation to begin with. And it seems like we're about to create that step where I was joking about this like a year ago, saying that the next step for video games is that people are going to get tired of the NPC characters just walking around and doing nothing. They're going to want characters that are conscious and aware of their surroundings. So what happens when we create a video game in our reality where, you know, everything becomes self-aware? So you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you shoot off an RPG and then all of a sudden everybody's <laughs> fleeing for their life, but they're actually fleeing for their lives because yes. they're totally conscious. And who's to say that this stage hasn't happened multiple times, that there could be a reality outside of our reality that wanted to play that video game where everything is self-aware within the video game. And we're in that. And all of these weird things we see like UFOs, Sasquatch, uh, Paranormal are actually the people in that reality choosing which playable characters they want to play in our reality. And we're just dealing with the consequences based on what they want to do while they're playing their game. But in turn, it's an, this inception concept that we're creating that same reality within our reality. So like how far back does that chain possibly go about people wanting to make self-aware entities within a simulated reality? And this could just be a chain of events that's continuously kept going down. And if people don't want to believe in it, man, like we're at that step creating AI to become self-aware. So who's to say that we're not that to something else? <laughs> Well, who's to say it hadn't happened already, and the fact that it's being rolled out the way it is is our introduction to it. Sort of like that idea of, what do they call that? Not propaganda. It is propaganda, but at its core. But it's a revelation of the method, kind of. It's where they roll things out um, in TVs and movies and stuff like that early, sort of like the UFO phenomena where they started introducing you to the concept of these 
aliens and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when it was, it was introduced militarized. So that's interesting too, to see that they were already ready to get people ready to think that it was going to be a threat, which is now how it's being posed, right? It was convenient that it's been seated that way the entire time. But then to think that scenarios and narratives really in a game sort of like that are being planted around us constantly and all the time, and that people just ca get caught in these whirlpool loops of these characters. And maybe, though, if we are talking about it like an NPC type of a thing, more, more of a conscious NPC is sort of how I would put it, but you're still acting you're still a playable character. You know what I'm saying too in that reality, in a sense. And this is what spirit possession or anything else might be, you know, is this idea that there are entities that can inhabit this game and play you to any degree, right? Like that movie Surrogates when those people were conscious and they were walking around like NPCs and people were getting shot near them and everything like that. And it's like, it's just this wild thing. But then maybe you're a lizard person, you know? I mean, people can hack video games so who's to yes. say that whoever's outside of our reality can't hack the same thing and you may not be intentionally a playable character but that doesn't mean that somebody hasn't figured out how to manipulate and hack the system in order to make you a playable character for themselves and that could be where all this possession type stuff happens from is people that are outside of the organic simulation figuring out how to hack the organic simulation to make it do what they want it to do and that could be where all this weird anomalous stuff happens is literally hackers outside of the system just having a field day with it and manipulating the system in ways that it's not intended to be manipulated in the first place. <laughs> and that's when the flood comes in, right? And they just kill all the characters off. And then the plasma apocalypse comes, floods this whole damn place, and it's over. It's it's just wild, dude. It's like... Um, and it's like the idea, really, that the uh, Gnostics talk about with the uh, the Demiurge, is that it was a great thing, and then it got sick, really, is the thing. And how would we say that in computer terms? It got a virus, you know, it got a computer virus. And so it seems like that that virus is rampant, and you can see this with these glitches in the Matrix, and sort of like trying to correct itself, but also the virus is struggling to survive at the same time, is the idea. Uh, if we modernize the uh, Gnostics' perspective... It's, it's just interesting, man, when you really start to look at this stuff, and especially for more of a technological eye that we have with sort of the gear and the, you know, interfaces that we've been using since, um, for a while now, you know, some people their entire lives. But it's a wild, wild concept, dude. Uh, have you seen that video game guy who was pleading with the main character to get him out, that NPC? Wasn't that, what, were you talking about the movie? Wasn't it called like Nice Guy or something like that? It was a movie, but there was video game footage of a video game character. Um, in fact, while you tell us your Wendigo story, I'm going to pull it up so you can check it out. Oh, even better. Yeah. So, getting into the Wendigo story, and I didn't know where to place this for a long time, but for anybody that's not familiar with what urban exploring is, it's essentially where you look for abandoned buildings and you explore them. So, my girlfriend and I found this place called Northville Psychiatric Hospital. And of course, you know, psychiatric hospital sounds absolutely fascinating. And this place wasn't just one specific building. It was like a full campus. So a lot of really cool stuff to explore. So everybody talks about this place being haunted, having this, having that. And so we would, you know, go there, take pictures, do whatever. And we never really saw anything super duper crazy. Um, you know, we'd see orbs, but, you know, there's always the consideration that it's just dust because they're old buildings. So it's like never anything. I was like, this is an orb. This is a ghost. Like, I was just like, all right, cool. I mean, you know, it could be orbs, could be dust. This is what it is. So a couple of weird events happened when we were there. The first one being that we were up on the eighth floor and I think it was the eighth floor. And we had this door that just slammed shut. And it was kind of weird because it was a blue door with a smiley face on it. And there was no windows busted on this floor. So we just, you know, we tried to do an experiment. You know, we, we left the door open, hung out there for a while, tried to see if the door would slam back shut again. 
and it never ended up slamming back shut again. So we're like, all right, that's kind of a weird experience. And uh, actually going past the Winnego thing, I'm just going to tell you all my experiences as far as Northville goes. So before I started really diving into paranormal investigating and really having an understanding of that, uh, one of the first things that happened there was that I found this no smoking sign that I thought was cool. And I found this little like tiki head that was made out of foam and it was painted, but it was really crudely painted. So what I assumed that it was, was if it was a psychiatric ward, they don't want people with you know, wood and knives and all that. So they got to give them some kind of arts and crafts. So piece of foam with a spoon, you know, you can carve it. You can do what you want with it. You're not going to hurt nobody with it. So I brought this thing home because I just thought it was interesting. So you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I didn't know this at the time. I ended up putting it back and everything, but this was like good, probably about going on close to like 10 years ago, you know, like before I really, really started diving into everything. And so we got home, unpacked all the bags and everything. And the way the uh, house was set up was that there was the kitchen and the dining or the kitchen in the front room. And then there was two doorways on both sides. So it was like a continuous circle. So we come down the stairs after putting everything away. And my girlfriend goes into the kitchen to go and grab something to eat. And I'm sitting at the bottom of the stairs, well, standing at the bottom of the stairs. And on the couch, there's this shadow that's darker than dark in the shape of a person. And she had that one thing where she was, she didn't quite know how to react. So she just walked right past it, staring at it and then came back around the other side and was like, you saw that, right? And we both looked over there and we we're like, mm, it's not there anymore. So that night, uh, she ended up having a dream that something pushed her down the stairs in her house. But the weird part about it was she sprung up out of bed and I, w- I was sitting there watching TV and she goes, something just pushed me down the stairs. And I go, that's weird because I just heard something fall down the stairs. So that was the moment where I had to explain to her all of my strange astro traveling experiences because she had no basis of any of this. So then I kind of got into this idea is like, is it possible to, for other people, if you have that gift, if is, is it possible for other people that are around you to kind of feed off of that and possibly start to develop it? You know, like it's kind of a weird concept, but yeah, cycles can meet up. Superpowers can match up. I get it. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Sure. Now, do you think, and I just asked you about this, but that thing that her astral body is what you physically heard falling down the stairs. That's what I was thinking. Or at least something fell down the stairs. It was a boom. Like it sounded like a person fell down the stairs. It wasn't like a light little tap. It was like something, somebody fell. <laughs> but like it's we wild all to think that from her perspective, her body's over there, her astral body's over here. It gets pushed down the stairs, rolls, and then she z- and wakes up in her body. Like it's an odd like thing to think about, you know? Um, has she ever done that before? That was the one and only time she's ever experienced that. After you brought this fucking creepy tiki home. Yep. Way to go, dude. <laughs> Which needless to say. Well, she like, get it out of the fucking house now. <laughs> oh, we're, we're both about that. We ended up taking it back, I think the next day, actually. And I just left it there. <laughs> Anything after that? So going back into Northville, nothing pertaining to that, that being itself or anything like that. But so we're, in, we're at Northville again. And we, we would go to this place almost every weekend. We got to a point where we had this place like fully mapped out. Like we would go there so much that we had... The dormitory mapped out. We had the boys, the girls dormitories, uh, the gym that they had set up there, the main hospital itself, um, all the different little like side satellite buildings and everything. Uh, So we started like bringing some of our friends there once in a while. So kind of a weird thing. I live in Michigan. You know, we don't have cougars here. Like they're not they're not something that's native, not something that people just say, oh, no, it might be there. So I'm up on I think it's like the third or fourth floor at the time. And I'm looking out the back window of the hospital. And there's like a tree clearing where there's like a little wooded area back there. 
And I see this a cougar walk out of it. And it looks up at us on the third or fourth floor. And my girlfriend's friend who was with me, we were both looking at this thing. I'm like, you see, you see that, right? She's like, yeah, I'd see it. She's like, why is it looking at us? Uh. And then it dips back into the tree line. And I didn't know where to place that. I was like, all right, I think we should hang out here for a while because we have to walk back through that direction. And like, who knows where that thing's at? We just know it's in the tree line somewhere. So we ended up actually, we used to park in a different hospital that was back over behind and walk in because we saw a bunch of people get busted here all the time. So, you know, we'd be sitting up on the roof and watching people get arrested because they'd park their car like right in front of the building, you know, like super duper obvious that you're there. Uh, so the following weekend, we ended up coming back again. And this is where the big experience happened at. So we got to a point where we had mapped out this entire place and we were just like, all right, you know, the only one place we haven't really gone into is the tunnels because there's this tunnel system that goes all around Northville. Um, that some of the entry points to it are at the Northville Psychiatric Hospital. And uh, we decided that we're going to go into it just to kind of test it out, see what it's all about. Because I made sure I brought extra batteries because that was one of the biggest fears is that we're in the middle of this tunnel, you know, two miles in and then our batteries die. And then it's like, you got to feel the walls to find your way all the way back in the no. middle of the night. It's like, who knows what building you're going to end up in, you know? Fucking riddled with windigos. Absolutely not. That's what I'm saying, man. So we go into the basement um, because I know that there's an entryway to it. And there's this wall where it doesn't look like somebody like knocked it out, but it looks like a construction company like purposely like removed bricks to create like a like a little bit of a like a doorway. But it wasn't like a perfect doorway. It was like, you know, the staggered brick look kind of like leading into this big opening. So, yeah, like in Beetlejuice. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I walk down there and go. it's on to the right of me and I'm the first one that's leading the group. And then it's my girlfriend and her friend. So I turn into this room. And as I turn into this room, I hear a voice in my right ear that says, run. And as I hear that, there's this metal, like, girdy, like, you know, the, like the, the hospital girdies that they have, like, in the hallway, like the metal ones. Yeah. It's one of those in the back corner of the room. And as I hear that voice that says, run, I see this big thing stand up. And it had lanky, spindly looking arms. It had this, like, decaying, fleshy, kind of, like, bluish, white kind of skin color. And it had long, greasy hair that had like bald spots in it and stuff that was like going onto its back. So I see this thing and I end up taking off running. And I didn't know where to place this thing for a long time. We end up taking off out of the building. I'll send you the pictures too. My girlfriend was taking pictures as we were going out because she didn't know what I had seen. I was just telling her to get out and follow me pretty much. And we ended up catching this thing that's like this apparition looking thing that looks exactly like what I described and told them that it looks like. So I didn't know where to place this for a while. This is when I started getting into my cryptid research. You know, everybody looks up like finds pale crawlers, rakes. Um, but I just, it didn't seem like that was quite it. Cause when I started really like looking stuff up, I kept coming back to Wendigo and everybody thinks of a Wendigo as being this like deer headed, you know, the, the typical image of like a Wendigo that was created just through settlers retelling stories. Like that was never what natives envisioned the Wendigo that it would, that it would look like. They described it as almost like this lanky zombie-like creature that had such an unquenchable hunger that it would end up eating its own lips off. And it was just this like zombie-like lanky creature. So I, again, I didn't know where to place this for a while. I went like three or four years without telling the story whatsoever. And then I had Justin on from Cryptids of the Corn and we we're talking about all of our experiences. So then I started really connecting dots. Um, after that, I kind of started diving into more of like the Wendigo research and how they describe these things. And they said from the first snowfall to the last snowfall, you weren't safe because these things were decaying and they needed to stay in the cold. And the rest of the year, they would stay underground in caves, places that were 
typically cold in order to preserve themselves. So whereas in the tunnels, these tunnels are probably, well, not fully into the tunnels yet, but into the basement. And it was a good like 15, 20 degree drop down there. So then I just started kind of piecing stuff together. And what I believe is that more than likely it seems to fit the Wendigo archetype. I'm not saying 100%, this is what it was. This was a Wendigo, but from everything that I've searched up, that's the only thing that I keep coming back around to down to the voice whispering in the side of my ear, because there's this whole thing that they talk about where it's like an internal battle when it comes to these creatures, that there's the natural human being. And then there's the evil spirit that's within them that takes them over because they resorted to an act of cannibalism or some other different awful act, depending on which cultural background you're looking at as far as Wendigos go, because they go by a couple different names. Um, but I kind of saw that that voice that told me to run may have been the human consciousness that was within this thing. And there's all these different stories about where people will find out what the Wendigo's name was before it got transformed into a Wendigo and it'll stop and freeze. And it still has these moments of humanity. And Justin from Cryptids of the Corn believed that it may have been because I have Cherokee in me. My grandma was hundred percent. My dad is 50. So that means I'm 25, but I grew up with a lot of the different stories that my grandma would tell me being hundred percent Cherokee. And he kind of wondered if, because I had that native in me that maybe it sensed that and wanted to warn me to get away because they ended up actually shutting down Northville and well, not shutting it down, but tearing the building down because there was just these random strings of deaths that happened there that didn't make any sense. Like two of them were somebody falling down elevator shafts and the elevator doors were basically shut. So like, unless you crammed yourself in there, there is no way that you're just going to accidentally fall down an elevator shaft. So it seemed like all these weird things happened and all of a sudden they hopped on it real quick to make sure they tore that building down and that nobody was aware of it. So then I started wondering if they knew that something weird was there and that's why they jumped on tearing this building down. But dude, that thing chased us out of the building and it was it's one of those images that's burned into my head forever. Like I can fully describe this thing down to detail where if I was a good enough artist, dude, I could draw this picture out of this thing. Like I remember every single detail of this thing standing up and actually later on kind of a little thing. I always forget to add in as far as this uh, encounter goes, uh, Timothy Wayne Williams, awesome artist does the like hidden Bigfoot art. Um, I asked him if he would recreate the image for me because I would just, I don't know why I just wanted to be able to have a picture of this. And he was trying to create the picture for me. And he kept having these extremely vivid nightmares of Wendigos. And he basically said that he couldn't do it. And the more I dug into it, I realized that they say you're not supposed to tell stories about these things. They say that you're not supposed to find a way for them to be able to like manifest themselves. So I kind of feel that the reason why he wasn't able to create that picture was because it would essentially create a doorway where this thing would forever be in this photo. So I felt like there was forces acting against him to make sure that this thing didn't actually happen. It didn't create a doorway for this thing to be because who knows where this thing could possibly be now if they tore down that building. I feel like it might even still be in those tunnels somewhere, man. <laughs> Dude, so you took tunnels to go underneath a creepy ass thing? Uh, I was starting to go into the tunnels. I didn't even make it into the tunnels. This thing was in the basement of the hospital right by where, where one of the entrances were to the tunnels itself. So I think that this thing was going into the hospital and out. hanging out there. But the way it looked, dude, it wasn't because I, I, I've i had the idea that maybe it was just, you know, like a homeless person, like a crackhead, something like that. But the way this thing was shaped was completely not a natural shape for something to look like. There is no way 
that somebody could have that flesh color unless they were like rotting while they were still alive. Like it didn't make any sense. It was like this bluish white decaying skin color and the hair was just greasy. And when this thing stood up, like it was taller than a normal person that had to at least have been maybe like six, five. And it wasn't even standing up all the way by the time I already took off out the door. So at the height that I saw it at, it was about six, five. So who knows what this thing could have been when it fully stood up, but dude, it was, it was weird. It's one of those moments that's forever burned in my head. And I didn't know where to place it for so long that I didn't tell this story for a good three, four years after this experience happened, because I didn't think anybody would believe me telling it in the first place, man. Like until I started piecing some stuff together and Justin got it out of me on the show, dude, it wasn't for him. I probably would have completely left this to myself and never even told anybody about this. Apologies if you've already mentioned it, but when did this happen? Uh, this happens, see, probably about right before my daughter was born. So probably about eight and a half years ago. Wow. Okay. And it was a physical being, you think, not like a etheric being that manifests or like some smoke that sort of looked like like some pareidolia, like you heard footsteps stomping after you whenever you ran? It looked physical when I saw it, but in the picture that we that my girlfriend ended up taking, it's transparent. It seems like it's not something that's fully physical, but at least when I had seen it, it looked like it was completely physical. But then that's where you get into this weird spot about things that are physical versus things that may not actually be physical because I mean, things, there's a lot of different things that seem like they have the ability to make themselves physical in this reality when they need to be. But at the same time, they're spiritual beings. So they're able to transverse between two different realities. And maybe that could be the, the combination of the fact that even going with like the native lore about it, that there's the dark evil spirit that coexists within the human that's physical to this reality. So maybe having that connection between something that's in this reality and something that's in the spiritual in turn, it's able to transverse between the two once they combine each other and become one being itself. I mean, it's kind of something weird. Cause it's like, I, I don't know. I still don't quite know where to place it. The pictures, it looks transparent, but what I saw was definitely solid. It was there. It wasn't something that was like an apparition of something, you know, have you ran it through different filters to see if something shows up? I've lightened up the picture. Um, but that's about as far as I really ran with it. Um, if you want though, after the show, I mean, if you, if you want to like post it or something, I can send you the pictures of it. I'll send you the solid unedited picture and then just the lightened up version of it. Yeah, or if you want to share the screen, if you've got it handy, man, we can do that. I think I got it on my phone. I don't know if it'll, uh, if I can transfer it onto my screen that fast though. We'll see. Um, uh, I believe in you if you feel like doing it. Uh, you know what we can do while you're doing that is, um, I found a clip of this NPC thing. We'll just go ahead and play it here while you're looking that up. Um, cause I think it'd be dope as shit to, to check that out. So this is, these are they, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this shit, I'm going to just see if, uh, oh, hang on, I need to share the audio. Bump, bump, bump. This is on the fly folks. Check out the video version link down in the show description. Also want to let y'all know that we're doing transcripts of the shows now. So you guys can find that for free for free on Patreon. Just go down there. The link is down below. You don't have to pay anything to get those, but if you want to, support and you want to come hang out with us we're doing a bunch of really cool fucking shows lately that are a lot of fucking fun so come hang out but these um videos ghostbusters just king how can i assist you get to the chopper okay see this is going to be one of these fucking just search through a shitload of videos on and so i'm not going to do that for you guys and waste your damn time as i've already wasted enough of it here so uh, I'll just figure out what that video was and send it to you if I can come across it. 
It was a wild video of this NPC, basically that gameplay there. I guess it was the Matrix game. And he was pleading for this uh, character, this main character, to like, go find his wife and that he doesn't understand what's going on. And they're like, you're a game character. He's like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. I'm hungry. Like, things are cold. Like, it's really weird. It sounded like it was a consciousness trapped in an AI that, like, is some sort of slave that then now is maybe this consciousness in AI, which is really fucking creepy and evil and... Was it a Matrix to game about. to begin with? Because that I may have been so. something they put in the game just to troll people. You know what I mean? Like if it I'm is the Matrix, not ruling it out. Not ruling it out. It's uh, AI NPCs are creepy. Matrix Awakens is the game, I suppose. But uh, there are there is one clip of one where it's like really really creepy. But I I get it. I mean it it would get good. You know what do they call it? Uh, press for the game. You know to make it so creepy or something like that. So oh hell yeah! Look at these graphics. God damn, it's clean, dude. Let's see here. Can you are you seeing my screen share right now? I am. Yeah, it looks awesome. Photos okay. are pulling up. Most of them are of your left bicep, which is interesting. I mean, that looks good. It's just an interesting choice to have it so much. <laughs> yeah, so th it's kind of dark on here. I'm going to have to send you these like physically so that you can actually see them and look at them. Yeah. This is the image unedited. Okay. And lightened up. Uh, let's see. This is what it looks like. See this thing right oh, here? Oh god, what the fuck? That's what I'm saying, man. Like it's, it's there, and it looks transparent because you can see the light shining through it right here. But it's right. there's definitely something physical and in this hallway right here. But it's like just weird, man. I don't know. I don't quite know where to place this one in my mind either. I've just had these pictures on my phone forever, hoping that somebody might be able to kind of answer a little bit about what this is. But <laughs> dude, it's weird. Because you think about like that. Um, I've seen some. I mean, who knows what these things are, but you have this idea that you could run it through different filters. Like on Instagram, they have like the different filters and people will be on an airplane. I've seen a couple of examples of this, but again, you could fake this shit. So I'm not, you can fake any of this shit, but there was somebody on a plane viewing out the window and they were just scrolling through the filters on Instagram to get like a nice shot of the clouds as they were flying by right on an airplane window. And whenever they swiped to one particular filter, same spot there, a UFO just appeared there and it was flying alongside the plane. And then they swiped to another filter and it went away and was gone. And then they swiped back and it was in the exact same position. And so it kind of was tracking the plane with the plane, but it was only viewable in this one particular filter that was a, just a bunch of presets. So you think that maybe you run it through a few of those filters to see if something pops up or a combination of them or something like that. I mean, it's, a, it's tough to make that out. You don't want to get close enough to it to get a good shot. So I get it, you know. She was Man, just running wild. back and just taking pictures behind her as you're running out the <laughs> door. Like, that's that's how that even got taken. She was just... <laughs> well, good job. It looks great. But I've had a few wild. people that came on the show, um, particularly this guy named Daniel, who's like one of the biggest ufologists in Mexico. But he hasn't really been on a lot of shows because you need to use a translator. And I haven't fully worked out that episode yet because it's kind of difficult because there is a translator in the mix of it. Okay. But he's used new cameras, old cameras. All these old cameras that he uses, he's able to pick up these weird floating UFOs that all hang out around this uh, volcano in Mexico. And it's not like it's something on the lens. Like when he moves, it yeah. stays in the same yeah. spot. Yeah. But then he uses a newer camera and you can't see any of it. So, I mean, I feel like with all of the different technology that's involved with new cameras, you think that it's actually correcting the image. AI kind of filling in gaps in certain images. But I feel like you have a better you have better luck at recording paranormal weird type beings on old stuff because there's not so many filters on it like 
It's just showing the image for exactly what it is and picking up what it is instead of trying to correct the image. And then in turn, by correcting the image, you're actually taking out what you're actually trying to see in the image. It's like your prefrontal cortex of your mind, right? That filters out any image based on your reticular activating system's data. So whatever you believe to be true in your reality is what you will see there. And this is maybe why like, you don't see anything with the shadow beings because what's there is so horrific that you couldn't place it in your reality. So therefore your, your mind sort of omits it. It does this with your nose all the time. The tip of your nose is perpetually visible for you, but it's useless information. So your mind will automatically filter it out of your experience but it's not what's truly going on. Like, but now that we talk about it, everybody can see their nose and their vision now. It's an odd concept to think that, especially new technology would filter that out. It doesn't surprise me at all. It makes the most sense in the world. I've seen videos of this dude who took an old Blackberry and he would show like the old Britney Spears video, for instance, on MTV and she would have the headset, you know, and she had the plaid skirt, not the black skirt. So it's like the, the Mandela effects were solved every time he took a picture or showed something with that older camera. And he would do this like real time. I don't know how you could fake it. It was amazing. I saw that with the Berenstein Bears thing where he went across the cover of the Berenstein Bears and it was spelled Berenstain versus Berenstein. Yes, absolutely. But there's a guy who does um, old, I guess, reveals. I got to ask you, though, mm -hmm. is there a Mandela effect that everybody... The, you you stand solid on one side of it that everybody says it doesn't exist within this reality, but you have memories that make it so that you know different. Because I have one in particular, but I'm just curious if you have any like this. I do. I mean, the um, Shazam thing. I for fuck sure. Uh, my I remember it. Um, I was a kid. It was um, I was at my aunt and uncle's house in Kansas. We were in a basement. It was when their TV was on the other side. I remember because they moved the TV from there, but they're was a couch right there down the stairs when we went. And from that TV, I watched Shazam. I absolutely remember it. Uh, another one is for fuck sure the cornucopia in. Um, somebody's yelling it. Yes, thank you. And I uh, just posted a video on that. Somebody found an old, you know, thing with the fruit of a loom, the actual, well, the one we remember from our dimension, if that's the case. But it's a fascinating bit of psyop as well, right? Uh, to fuck with people's minds like that, because then it's. It's really, really weird. It's something to where now you're hitting all of us at our memories and it's nostalgia, which is the other thing. It's this idea that um, they can hit you on the things that you were most fond of. You see what I'm saying? It's just really, really odd. Yeah, I've kind of wondered sometimes, if not all of them, but some of them are matters of like psyops, like changing it on the internet just to right. see what information they could potentially change. But there's also the side of it that there's just stuff that's like physical and like physical memories. Like mine, for example, was that I used to have a stuffed Curious George as a kid and everybody With knows the tail. Mandela effect between him having a tail and not having a tail. Yep. And when I was a kid, 150%, I remember grabbing this thing by the tail and spinning it above my head. It was what I did when I was a kid all the time. And I wasn't grabbing any of the limbs. I was grabbing the tail. So there's nobody that can tell me different than Curious George did had a tail because he definitely had a tail when I was a kid because the stuffed one that I had had a tail. And this was before <laughs> wish.com where you were accidentally buying some stuff that was a little right, bit off, right, you know, to yeah. get rid of trademark. Like it was a straight <laughs> Curious George that I remember getting with the first book and that thing had a tail, man. <laughs> That's a great point. It's an awesome point. I love it. Okay, uh, let's do this real quick. Okay, so check this shit out. This is this guy's phone um, and I'm not sure if this has got audio. Oh, here you go. Look at that shit. I don't know how you'd fake that. So this is the Looney Tunes, Looney T-U-N-E-S. And there's a cornucopia, and now it's not. 
but it's the same otherwise, which is weird. Same background. You see what I mean? Like, how do you do that? Dude, that's what I remember too. I know that that thing had the cornucopia and also Looney Tunes was T-O-O-N-S. I remember yes. that also because I used to wake up every single Saturday morning and watch Looney Tunes, man, early, early before they started all the other cartoons and everything, man. I remember that. It was T-O-O-N-S. T-O-O-N-S. Absolutely. It's not tunes. It's tunes. Because cartoons is music. Tunes is cartoons. Cartoons is spelled T-O-O-N-S. It's not spelled T-U-N-E-S. That's that's music. Tunes. There you go. It doesn't make any sense that it would be spelled T-U-N-E-S. It was cartoons. Looney Tunes. Looney Cartoons. C-A-R-T-O-O-N-S. Exactly. Um, What's the other one of those? Um... There's a cereal, Fruit Loops. Fruit was spelt with two O's. Fruit Loops, two O's. It was double O's because they used the fruit pieces, the cereal pieces for the O's. So, of course, they slammed the other two in there just for phonetics. Dude, and I grew up watching Star Wars religiously. Like, my parents used to make jokes saying, the only way we get you to be quiet for two hours is by putting on, uh, putting on Star Wars. And I remember saying it in school all the time. Luke, I am your father. Your father. And now it's no... I am your father. Like, no, it was not. I watched that movie so many times when I was a kid. Like, oh, I know what that line was. It's crazy, dude. Same with that one too. The one that you're showing right now. She had yeah. the she had the the plaid printed printed skirt. Yep. And look I at remember, how this is shot. You know what I mean? How it's how he's holding the camera. It's zoomed in. It looks perspective wise to be filming that. He's got his finger that he's flicking over the back of it to show it. It's so interesting, man. I'm gonna. In fact, I'm gonna link this. This is like a 12, 14 minute video. Old Mandela Effect from uh, Emmy Wolf Productions on YouTube. So I'll just link this um, long ass link in the show description so you guys can check out the full thing. Just because it's fucking interesting. I just think this kind of shit's cool. And like I said, you're you're one of my favorite people to talk to this kind of stuff about. Nutty bars. They went after nutty bars. I don't remember this one. Yeah, I didn't know about this one either. I was trying to figure out what was going on with it. Fuck, Little Debbie's Nutty Bars. I swear it used to be called Nut Tea with two T's. Bars. Hang on. Nutty Buddies instead of Nutty Bars. What do you remember? Nutty Buddies or? Nutty Bars. I remember Nutty Bars as well, I believe. Kit Kat, dash or no dash? What do you think? Uh, There was always a dash. Fucking dash, right? It's stupid without it. Look at that. It doesn't even make sense. You wouldn't do it. No. Cheez-Its? Cheez-Its. Yep. With a Z. Double Z's. Get out of here. What the Jeez, fuck is it. wrong with this reality? It's so stupid. Anyway, <laughs> guys, we're just watching Mandela Effect videos now. So um, I tell you what, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, but this has been absolutely fucking amazing, man. I, I love talking to you. We'll, um, we'll get something together and hang out. Like I said, we're doing a lot on the Patreon stuff. So we'll invite you over for a, for a hang over there. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for signing up, for participating. It's uh, been awesome and just growing like a motherfucker. So thank you again. And... Uh, I wanted to ask you before we go, because again, thanks, dude, for your time. This has been extremely cool. You're just like uh, one of the most interesting people. We still have other things that we haven't talked about. Your uh, portal theory research with cryptids, UFOs, and so we're not going to talk about it on this one. We're going to save it for the next one. Separation from spirituality and plants. Touched on it, but there's a lot more to talk about there. So I thank you, dude, honestly, for being here and for what you're doing, for raising kids. I think you're crushing it at just everything. You've got a great head on your shoulders, great perspective, and I appreciate your time. Before I let you go... It's a crazy fucking place, and we talk about a lot of fun stuff, and it's a wild ride out here, and especially now. I don't know. You know, from our perspective, I suppose everything gets crazier every day, but 
it's fucking wild, man. So close this out, dude, with just something that gets you out of bed every morning, something that gives you hope and keeps you moving forward, you know? Hey, man, each day, it's about learning from the mistakes that you made the day prior. So with each day, all you can do is try to be better each day and learn from your mistakes. Rather than dwelling in all of the things that you've done in the past, all the things that you wish you could redo, take them as a learning experience and become better each day. The amazing inquiries of our reality and all the other ways to find Mr. Shane Jones are going to be located diggity down in the show notes. Thanks again, man. This is incredible. Thanks for inviting me on, man. It's been a lot of fun and I always have a lot of fun talking to you. Well, our last conversation was wonderful and so is this one. I'm looking forward to the next one. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done